We'll wait till a few more of the folks come in. There are a few, two or three pews here that are uh, left unoccupied, and we'll be happy for you to sit there if you would like to come on in to the auditorium. Good many folks here today. Thank you for coming. <clears throat> I can't remember when we've had a memorial service that was so well attended as this one today. And your presence today is a great tribute to B.J. Massey, to her life, to her testimony, to her friendships, to her love that reached out to so many people. That's so obvious by your presence here today. And we are here to remember her life and to thank the Lord for what he did in her life. But B.J. didn't want us to honor her today so much as to honor her Savior. She was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you knew her, you knew that to be true. And so we are going to remember her, but we're going to remember the God who saved her and the Savior who sustained her all the way to the end. Her, her faith never faltered. Her, her trust in God never wavered right up until the very end. And so we are grateful today for what God has done in her life. Shall we bow in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done in the life of B.J. Massey. We thank you for saving her more than 50 years ago. We thank you for sustaining her all these 50 years through many trials, many dangers, toils, and snares that she went through, as all of us do in this world. We thank you that even in the midst of a very, very serious and life-threatening disease that did take her life in a short time, that her faith never wavered. We thank you for sustaining her through all of those trials and demonstrating your grace and how great and how powerful it is. And so, Father, honor the Lord Jesus Christ, even as remember we remember Betty Massey. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a real privilege for me to participate in this memorial service. Before I read my written comments, I'd like to make a couple of observations. I think B.J. Massey is a wonderful example of a layperson whose life radiated the gospel. And your attendance here today is a tribute to that. I agree with Pastor. She would not want attention drawn to herself. But when someone lives before others as a true Christian, you can't help but notice. One other thing I'd like to say, last week uh, Ron called me and BJ was in intensive care and at that time we didn't think that she would be here much longer with us. So I went up to the hospital and my wife came a little bit later and the world does not understand what I'm about to say. In that intensive care unit, there was a de different atmosphere in BJ's room. If you are a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because we are human, we grieve, we have concerns. Because we are Christians, we have hope. And that room had hope. On Thursday, I added my thoughts about BJ to those numerous friends who posted on Facebook. 
I wrote that each of us has our own perception of others based upon our interactions with them over time. Shane and I have known BJ from the time her kids were little, and now they're both grandparents. In my post, I went on to say that, I'm not, that I am sure that those who knew BJ would agree in part or in whole with my perception of her. I wrote, BJ was a devout and virtuous Christian lady who was a class act with a servant's heart. And I did not take that and, re and write that lightly. Devout means committed or devoted to religion. More than to a religion, B.J. Massey was devoted to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Virtuous means conformity to a standard of right, purity, and conduct. And the standard by which he, she guided her life was none other than the word of God. Christian, if you knew B.J. well, you know without a doubt that she believed in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Lady means a woman of refinement and gentle manners. Enough said. B.J. Massey was that. A class act is a person who is an example of outstanding quality. And the last thing I said was that she was a servant, or had a servant's heart. Her servant's heart is evident in the entries of friends on Facebook. They described her as sweet, precious, radiant, a godly example, a loyal friend, someone willing to give honest advice, always kind and loving, often an encouragement with her quick smile and soft voice. More than one person said, I never heard her speak poorly of anyone, and she didn't have a jealous bone in her body. It was obvious to those who knew her that she or, or adored her soulmate, Ron, that she loved her family intensely, her church, and most of all, her Savior. When we give thoughts to those entries by friends on Facebook, we can't help but think of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, as well as the fruit of the Spirit. She did not personify them perfectly, because none of us does, but she did so consistently. B.J. was quick to voice her faith throughout her battle with cancer. On Saturday, July 22, at 4.44 p.m., she posted the following on Facebook that says much about who she was and how she was facing what lay ahead. Quote, Dear brother and sister in Christ, do you ever have thoughts like, what if I'm not truly saved? What if I hear the words, I never knew you, depart from me, that ye that work iniquity when I die? What if I wake up in hell when I die? I suspect many of us have had these thoughts at one time or another. Satan will try to make us despair, and when Satan attacks like this, I always respond, Satan, it's totally impossible for me to die and wake up in hell. And the reason is because my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered my hell on the cross and applied his 100% righteousness to me, therefore making me righteous before God the Father. Satan, you are the defeated enemy of Christ and his elect. To that Facebook post, we who are Christians respond, hallelujah. Ron and family members, in the midst of personal grief over the temporary loss of someone we all love, we have the peace of knowing that BJ is rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory in the presence of Christ. Her faith has become sight and her living hope has become eternal reality. Perfect love has welcomed her home. 
BJ's testimony could be clearly summarized by a verse from the hymn All the Way My Savior Leads Me by Fanny Crosby. When my spirit, clothed immortal, wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Massey had a, a strong faith. She had a persevering faith. And the question may be, how do you acquire that? Where do you get that? 
Well, I'm going to draw your attention to a couple of hymns that the church sings that answer that question and then read a couple of passages of scripture and then pray. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Sorrows like sea billows roll. We've known that. We've experienced that. But we can also say, despite what's happening and the sorrow that we know, for the Christian can say, it is well with my soul. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more could he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus hath fled. God has laid a foundation for his people, for their faith in his excellent word. So let me read from his excellent word, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded... For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, not height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then from Revelation chapter 21, 
John the Revelator says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. For I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Let us pray. Father of mercies and God of all comfort, we look to you in our time of sorrow this afternoon. We thank you that you are a refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. We confess our God to you that we are conflicted with our emotions. We are rejoicing in the fact that our sister is in your presence, that her sickness is behind her, her sorrow is behind her, every life's disappointment is behind her. And she is experiencing what we all long to that know you. So we're, we're not sorrowing for her. We are rejoicing with her. And yet, there is sorrow, there is deep sorrow in our hearts because one that has been loved by so many has been taken from us. We pray, our God, that you would give us grace to sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. We pray that you would come to us and minister to us. We thank you that you've promised that if we come and ask that you will grant us mercy and grace to help in time of need. Thank you for the promises of the word of God. You said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer you and you shall glorify me. Lord, we have called upon you many times on behalf of this sister and you have answered. And Lord, what's astounding to us is you have answered in a way that has allowed her and many who know her and know you to glorify you in their response. So strengthen us, Father, in the inner man. May our faith be encouraged. May you edify us. May you bless the word of God to our hearts today. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. We are here to celebrate the life and legacy of one of the kindest souls on earth. To many, she was known as BJ or Betty Joe, or the sweet lady who owned that cute jewelry and home decor shop in downtown Burlington called BJ's Gifts and Accessories. 
but to many of us in this room, she was known as Mama. Countless times I've been told stories of how Mama's kindness and sweet spirit was while so many returned to BJ's gifts and accessories. She found so much pride and joy in helping her customers find just the right piece for their special moments. I just loved to watch her move about the store. She really shined and was in her element there. However, one of her great loves in life was my papa. She was his cupcake, and their love was very special. I told her numerous times how my father and I had no doubt the reason we still have the privilege of having my papa here is due to the exceptional care and love she so graciously provided. That was the thing about mama. She was the closest thing to an angel on earth if I've ever seen one. She, when she walked in a room, she had a light about her. Always the best dressed, always the best smile, the best jewelry, always the first to pray for you, always the one to let you know how much she loved you, always the one to give you honest advice, and the one who loved my papa with every fiber of her being. The zest of life she had was infectious and she loved an adventure. I recently shared a quote with her that I immediately knew made me think of her when I heard it. It stated, your grandmother's prayers are still protecting you. And this I know to be true. Momo has prayed so fiercely for many of us in this room. And she was specific in how she did it. It was not done haphazard either. I remember one day I was sitting with her in her sunroom, which was her favorite room in the house. She showed me the length of her prayer list. When she spoke of mine, I was blown away by the level of dedication. And she did this for every person on her prayer list. Dating 10 plus years back, praying for things like my children, my pregnancies, my business adventures, my family, homes, and etc. They're all dated by year. My heart was overwhelmed. What a mountain of a woman to take that length of time, fall in love, and to pray for me and my family. Her family was her top priority right behind her relationship with the Lord. That was our mom, although. In a time where so many are steering away from Christian values, she ran towards them. Self-spoken, God-loving, she loved her family, not a mean or jealous bone in her body. I never heard her speak unkindly of anyone. As her cancer progressed, she started sharing some truly profound, meaningful statements on Facebook. One stuck out to me, and I feel like we could all hear it right now. She wrote, We live in an imperfect world, and it is inevitable that bad times will come our way. No one can escape tears and heartache during this earthly life. As Christians, we have hope. Our knowledge of God's presence brings us peaceful comfort. We know God is in control and has ultimate power over the outcome of our struggles. As we wait patiently, God's Spirit abides in our hearts, guiding and comforting us in each moment. Mama always had a way with words. She always showed up. Whether it be making my Dorothy dress from scratch when I was in the Wizard of Oz, taking my cousins and I on memorable trips, conducting royalty parties for my daughters, cooking my favorite grits casserole, 
making Christmas magical, or sending you a powerful message at just the right time. She wanted to know that you knew she loved you. Lastly, I'll end with this. When we leave this world, it's not the things that we leave for our children, but what we leave in them. The greatest thing my mama and papa ever gave me <laughs> were Wednesday nights at Awana's at Beacon Baptist Church. They were laying bricks beside my parents to make sure I had the foundation needed to know the Lord and fed me lots of seafood every Wednesday. <laughs> On the occasion, we did get Wendy's, and we were excited about that, too. Wednesday nights at Awana's helped make me who I am. Thank you, Mama, for pouring your heart and soul into our family. You loved us fiercely. Job well done. Oh 
can see your sympathy I doubt myself but I'm sure of your love lavish grace was poured out at Calvary securing me for my home above you are always good you are always good you are always good to me though my eyes can see help my heart believe you are always going to share a few of my own reflections in regard to B.J. Massey, and then I'm going to articulate a few declarations that pertain to our sister. I've known B.J. Massey for more than 50 years. I learned when I first when I first became acquainted with her, that she had become a child of God a relatively a short time before I met her. She was saved as a young adult, and she's never gotten over that. When you talk to her about her salvation, how the Lord had saved her, she would always speak about it with wonder and almost uh, incredulity that God would have saved her and yet she knew that he had and what a change it had made in her life. I met her as a charter member of Beacon Baptist Church. She was one of the 19 people who signed a, a petition, an appeal that was given to me back in 1973 to invite me to come and to help this group of people to start a new church. I was young, some of them were young, some of them were not as young, but uh, all of them had a desire to see a new church brought into existence. And why did they want that? Alamance County is filled with churches. When I first considered this, my, my initial thought was no, uh, Alamance County is not a place that needs another church. 
Alamance County always already always has already has more churches than most places I've ever been. And if the Lord wants to use me to plant a new church, he'll probably send me to some remote area, at least spiritually remote, where the gospel is not well known and where there are few churches. But the Lord made it very clear that this is exactly what he wanted, and so he brought us together, this group of 19 adults who were looking for a new church. And what they were looking for was a church that was committed to Scripture, both to teach it and to practice it and that those who were part of the church would be willing to change as the Word of God directed them to do so. They had been disappointed in churches that they had known that did not live according to what they professed and did not conform to the Word of God when it required them to do so. And so she was one of those nine. Well, we actually had 29 charter members when we got a few more uh, together. But one of those 19 initial ones who said, if you will come, we commit ourselves to backing this venture with everything that we have. And the Lord honored that. We don't have very many charter members left. I see Don and Fawcett here today. It's so good that you were able to make it. She's one of our charter members. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. She knew B.J. Massey back in those early Days, And so that's how I met Betty, as we called her in those days. Later on, she wanted to be called BJ, but she was Betty, Betty Jo. And that's how I met her. And she was committed to the Lord, though newly saved, committed to Scripture, wanting to know what it said, and committing herself to following what it said. And the wonderful thing is that by the grace of God, She was still committed to the Lord and still committed to Scripture and still committed to change in her life 50 years later. I'm so delighted that when we had our 50th anniversary celebration in May of this year, that B.J. was able to be with us. She was weak, she was struggling, but she was here. And she wouldn't have missed it, I don't think. If you'd had to brought her in on a stretcher, I don't think she would have missed it. She was here. And she was just that committed. That was the way she lived. As I was thinking about B.J. and my impressions of her, I thought of these phrases that I think describe her. She was sweet as honey, strong as steel, elegant as diamonds. Isn't that about right? Sweet as honey, strong as steel, elegant as diamonds. She was a loving, loving person. She was an encourager. She encouraged those around her. She encouraged her fellow church members. She encouraged her pastors. She was an encourager. She was a a vocal person. She was not shy about saying what she believed and what she thought ought to be said, but she always said it with such love and such grace that you never felt like anyone had stepped on your toes. I I wish I could do that. When I'm blunt in what I have to say, sometimes people feel like I've hit them with a club. When uh, B.J. Massey had something to say, she said it so sweetly, sweet as honey, that it just came across beautifully and people knew that no matter what she said she loved them and she was saying it 
because she loved them and because she wanted them to have God's best in their lives. To give you some examples, and I could give you many, but I'll give a few. When BJ was struggling with fibromyalgia, a condition that really whacks a wallop on most people and makes it very difficult for them to continue to live as they had normally lived. Though sweet as honey, she was strong as steel. And she said, I'm not going to let this disease get me down. I'm not going to let it define my life. I'm not going to let it change my life. Whatever it takes, I'm going to live with this and I'm going to overcome it. And she did. She did. I, I was amazed. She would work all day in the office, come home in the evening and start doing exercises. She would pull herself up and do the things that she had to do and start changing her diet and finding what she could do. And over a period of time, she overcame that fibromyalgia. I don't know. I don't know that it ever went completely away. I don't think it did. But most people who knew her didn't know she had it. She didn't make reference to it. She didn't make allowances for it. She didn't change her life because of it. She was strong as steel, and she just kept right on going. What an example. What an encouragement. She was a person who took initiative in a sweet way. It's been amazing to watch how she took what most people would have considered to be a hobby, her love of jewelry, and then a little uh, part-time um, job of, of selling jewelry out of her home, out of her car. And, and before long, she turned that into a thriving business with a store downtown and employing a number of people. And probably a good many of you have, have shopped in that store and bought some of that beautiful jewelry. And um, how many people could do that? I don't know. Strong as steel. Strong as steel, she really was. Well, she lived with grace and strength, and she died the same way. She died with grace and with strength all the way up to the end. But moving from my reflections, I now can conclude. It'll be a little while before I'm done, but I conclude what I have to say with some declarations. Because my assignment was to declare to you the gospel that B.J. Massey believed and loved and wanted to have represented in this service, and so I'm going to do that. When I was with the family a couple nights ago, my mind was, was drawn to Ephesians chapter 2, and when I reflected on what I would say in the way of gospel declaration at this, this meeting today, my mind was directed right back to Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to read the first ten verses and then take a few minutes to talk about some of what's there. This is a message by God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus. And he said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire the desires rather of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The two things I want you to take away from this passage this afternoon. First of all, there's something to understand, and then there's secondly something to embrace. There's something to understand. It doesn't go down easy, but there's something to understand, and that is, what is our true condition as we have come into this world? What are we? according to our first birth. What are we until we come to the second birth? And some perhaps have not experienced the second birth. What is our true condition? Not what do we think our condition is, not what do others think our condition is, not what do our friends who call us good people tell us our condition is, but what does God see? What does God declare is the condition of every man and woman and boy and girl as they are born into this world as sons and daughters in a long line of human beings all the way back to our first father, Adam, who in the garden fell into sin and thereby plunged all of his descendants into a sinful condition. And this is what we read about this condition. Verse One says, in you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what God tells us is the truth, and we need to understand this. We are not spiritually alive, we're spiritually dead. We are walking dead men and women. We are alive physically, but until the Spirit of God births us into the family of God, By the second birth, until that takes place, we are dead spiritually, which means that we don't have spiritual desires, we don't have spiritual faith in God and in His Word, we don't have an understanding of the things of God, our our minds aren't able to comprehend those things, we are unable to do anything about our condition. We can't help ourselves out of this fallen condition because we're dead. What can a dead man do to help himself? What can a dead man do to save himself? Some people view salvation as something like you're at the bottom of a pit in a, in a terrible condition, but if you try hard enough, you'll figure out a way to climb up out of that pit and, and turn things around. Maybe if you're alive, but not if you're dead. 
And that's our true condition. We're dead. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. We once conducted ourselves, we read, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind. We, we lived for ourselves and we lived for our desires and our desires were not godly desires because we were dead in trespasses and in sins. That's what characterized us before God intervened. But that's the second part. If we understand our true condition, then there's good news. Your bulletin says this is a message of comfort, and it is for those who will embrace it, for those who will believe it. It is a message of great comfort, because the condition I just described, which sounds hopeless and is hopeless if it's up to us to change it, there's nothing we're able to do in that category, but God is able to, and God is willing to, and God has done it for millions of people down through these centuries, and God has done it for many of us who are here in this room today. And so here's something to embrace, which is God's rescue. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, will never fathom completely the love of God. I was so glad that uh, B.J. requested that Greg and Sue Ann Phillips sing that duet, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. We, we used to have a gentleman who's now with the Lord who was a great theologian who, who faithfully attended church services here and talked about the things of God and understood what is called systematic theology better than many people, even better than some preachers. And yet he understood that, that the that salvation is not found in great deep theological truth. Salvation is found in understanding the love of God in Jesus Christ. And his favorite song was, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. If you get a hold of that truth and understand what it means, then you will be changed forever. God's great love, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ even when we were dead. There's our true condition, dead. But He made us alive together with Christ. When we were dead, we didn't do anything because we couldn't do anything. But God did. He made us alive. He had to make us alive. If He didn't make us alive, we'd still be dead. Life comes from God. Resurrection from death from death comes from God. And He is the one who made us alive, if in fact today we are alive in Christ Jesus, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness to us through Jesus Christ. I was glad that Pastor Latour mentioned that B.J. Massey believed that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Why did God save us? Because he loved us, yes. Why did God save us? Because he had mercy upon us, yes. Why did God save us? Because we were such wonderful, lovable people. Nope. Nope, that's not the answer. 
That's not even a little part of the answer. Ultimately, why did God save us? Because that brings glory to Him. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The fact that God saves sinners is to demonstrate His love, His mercy, His power, His wisdom, to bring Him the glory. If God has saved you, the reason He has saved you is so that in your life you will bring Him glory. By your lips you will bring Him glory. And that's why we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. How are we saved? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ when God gives us the gift of faith? How do I get that? You go to God and apply for it. You cast yourself upon His mercy. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. And He will respond to those who, in repentance and faith, cast themselves upon Him and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. I am hopeless without Your intervention. Oh, Lord God, do for me what I cannot do for myself. And He gives us the faith to believe the gospel, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross in the place of sinners taking the death which we deserved and imputing to us a perfect righteousness which is required. The reason we can't earn our way to heaven, earn our salvation by working our way to heaven, is because God's standard for getting into heaven is perfection. Is there anyone here who says, I am perfect? I didn't think so. We usually say, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that person. I'll, I'll make it. I'm okay. No, that's not good enough. It takes a perfect righteousness. Well, who has a perfect righteousness? Jesus Christ and Him alone, the God-man who took upon Him a human nature and lived a perfect life of obedience, a perfect life of righteousness, And then died on the cross, the only one who ever lived as a man upon the earth who did not deserve to die, but he died voluntarily and vicariously, that is, as a substitute upon the cross, so that God is able to be just and the justifier of those who trust in Jesus. There's a wonderful double transaction that takes place when we trust in Him. God takes His death and applies it to our account for the debt that we owe to him for our sins. And he says, paid, paid in full. The whole penalty has been paid in Christ. But then God takes the righteousness of Christ, the perfect obedience that we owed him, that we have never kept and could not keep, and he says, I will impute that to the believing sinner's account so that when God looks at the record of one who truly believes in Jesus, he doesn't see all those sins that we have committed and continue to commit. What does he see? Perfect righteousness. The perfect righteousness of God is witnessed in the Savior's blood. That's it. And then this passage ends by referring to our works. It's not of works. Salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast. If there's anything about salvation and the way you understand it that gives you room to take pride in your part in it and to boast in what you have done, then you don't understand it. 
God's salvation doesn't leave any place for the sinner to boast. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, but we are his workmanship. He's doing a work. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't do good works in order to be saved, in order to earn salvation, in order to, to demonstrate to God that we're worthy to be saved. That's a fool's errand. That can't be done because we can't meet the high standard of perfection that God requires. But we can't be truly saved without beginning to do good works because God is working in us. We are his workmanship. So good works are the result of the new birth. They are our expression of gratitude and love to God because he has saved us. They are our act of obedience to him for what he has done in our lives. The good works don't save us, but the good works demonstrate that we have truly been saved. And that's what B.J. Massey believed. We'll understand that, I think, if we pay attention to the words of the closing hymn, which we'll sing in just a moment, that uh, the family picked out. It's not till then, when we get to heaven, we'll understand how much we owe. We owe God a great debt, but we can't fully understand it. But B.J. understands it today way better than we do, I can tell you that. But there's another song that B.J. sung, sang, and... um, quoted and particularly clung to in the last several months of her life. And we sing it here. And that song is, Whate'er my God ordains is right. Whatever God ordains is right. Similar to the theme of the other duet we heard, God is always good. He's always good. And whatever my God ordains is right, because he's perfect, because he's righteous, because he's good, because he's just, he can do no injustice, because he promises that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Whatever my God ordains is right. Now, that's not always easy for us to say. We are prone to question God and to to balk at what his dealings in our lives. And I want to tell you folks, you haven't really surrendered to him until you can say what that songwriter wrote, until you can say what B.J. Massey said. Whatever my God ordains is right. And if you say that and truly mean it, it's because... God has given you faith. You have a believing heart. You're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. You've surrendered to him. You are trusting him. That's what it means to trust God. You are trusting him. You're not trusting your understanding. You're not trusting what you can understand. Oh God, if you just help me to understand this, then I can believe it. No, we believe God by faith. We believe that whatever he says is true. We believe that whatever he does is good. Whatever my God ordains is right. Can you say that today? In surrender to him, in trust to him, in worship of him. Shall we pray? Father, 
Help us to understand our true condition apart from Christ. Help us to embrace the salvation that comes from Christ. And by the work of your Spirit, O Lord, save everyone who hears these words today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a hymnal. And turn to 342. We're going to sing this congregationally as we close the service this afternoon. When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon radiant sun, when I stand with Christ on high looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Let's stand together as we sing.